Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. Today we have Brian Johnson of Bethel. Uh, if you don't know Bethel, it means you probably like aren't a part of a church because like every church sings like a lot of songs that this guy in Bethel have uh, written, like One Thing Remains or uh, No Longer Slaves. Like it's just a ton of music out there. Um, okay, before uh, we talk about Brian some more, let me tell you about our, our friends, Pepperdine University. Now, many of you know that every May, I look forward to making a trip out to Malibu, California to go to Pepperdine University's Bible Lectures, now known as Harbor. And this year, you can join me on April 30th through May 3rd. Uh, There's a special pre-conference starting Tuesday, April 30th, with friend of the show, Don McLaughlin and Jerry Taylor, entitled No Longer Strangers, Practical Steps for Race Relations. Uh, Also guest speaker at the Harbor Pepperdine Bible Lecture, April 30th through May 3rd, um, is Rabbi David Wolpe, who is the senior rabbi of Sinai Temple, Los Angeles, and author of the book, David, the Divided Heart. For more information about Pepperdine's Bible Lecture, uh, go to their website. There are There is a link in the show notes. You can go check that out right now. So go do that, and I'll see you out there. And, and I'm going to be there talking about God over good. I think I've got a book signing there. So maybe you come uh, listen to some of the, the stuff, and then uh, you get a book signed. Uh, I, I think also you could buy like just go buy a book now and one while you're out there so you have one for traveling and one for at home uh it's like a a two for one special like you buy two of them and each one of them is going to cost the normal price of one so in a sense it's a two for two it's a two for two deal you buy two you pay for two and you get two great idea anyway uh on the show today Brian Johnson has a new book entitled when god becomes real uh bethel also has some uh, a new album Entitled Victory, uh, that's just been released. But you know me talking about music. I always make a fool of myself. I do that a little bit on the podcast uh, this time, but it's uh, it, it's fine. Anyway, without further ado, uh, Mr. Brian Johnson talking about his book, When God Becomes Real. To the show joining us from California today, Mr. Brian Johnson. Welcome to the show. Well, it's good to be here. Uh, so, uh, Okay, I, I've got to ask. You have a piece of tape across your hat. I, I've got to understand what that's all about. No one can see that. I can see that. Well, well I just needed a black hat <laughs> that fit my head because I have a really small head, okay. and I wanted a black hat, and they didn't. I couldn't find a black hat with no thing on it, so I just put tape over it. <laughs> I fully How's re- that? How's I, that for an answer? <laughs> I, I fully respect that. I mean, sometimes you, I have a shirt that I wear inside out because it's very comfortable. Yeah, exactly. But it's, Same thing. Yeah, sometimes you just got to do that because you just need to, you need to have... Okay, Kit, uh, Brian, you like stories? I'm good, man. I love stories. Okay. Unless it's not a good story. No, it's, I, th- I mean, I think it's a good story. Here's the story. So uh, I got reached out to about having you on the podcast because uh, you guys had... Uh, a couple songs that just came out. An EP? Is there, I, I don't know music. Okay, so I'm telling you that right now. Um, we had four songs yes. pre-released, and then our album just came okay, out. Okay, the album four just days. came out. Um, yeah. So they reached out to me a, a while back about having you on. I was like, you know, here's the thing. I've had a few musicians on the podcast. Uh, Joel Houston's been on a few times. I'm assuming you probably know Joel, right? Yeah. Um, but I don't know anything about music, and so I don't know how to talk about music. And they said, as I'm going through this conversation, they said, well, he's got a book that also is about to come out. And I thought, oh. Thank the Lord, because I know how to talk about books. books. I, yep. I can do books, so you. Have, well, I don't. So, well, well, this is perfect. How did you? No, st- how did you stumble into writing a book then? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. We'll go, we'll go right into it. Um, but like, we'll talk well, about the content of the book, but like, you've clearly written a ton of songs. I mean, our church, many churches sings the, the, the music that you've written. Um, but making the transition from songs to, to a book had to be a little bit daunting. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I actually, I, I, I never was like, I'm going to write a book. You know, it wasn't mm-hmm. something that I wanted to do, mm-hmm. but obviously I had my, that nervous breakdown, that whole thing ordeal, which the book talks about. Mm-hmm. And then I started and I, I got through it and it was really amazing, like miracle situation. Yeah. And I spoke on a Sunday night at church about it really. And it ended up being the number one watched message that year. Hmm. And, um, and then the team was just encouraging me, like telling me, um, and this testimony started coming in and this whole thing. So and it was a surprise, like, surprise, Brian, you're writing a book. <laughs> and, uh, and so we just started going after it and, uh, and really digging in. And then it ended up being cool because we, there's just a lot there because we went back when I was seven years old. And this, there's a lot that's happened, you know, that related to this panic attack and all this stuff. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a, it feels, it's cool because I, I, I didn't ever think about writing a book, never wanted to write a book. I was always, you know, a songwriter, but there's something kind of cool about it because it feels pure. It feels like it's for the right reasons, you know, like yeah. it's not something that I had ambitions about. So I really feel good. Like it feels like something that I was supposed to do. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, no, no I get yeah. that. Uh, Brene Brown talks about vulnerability hangover and your book yep. is going to come out, I guess it'll be out whenever this podcast is airing, but uh, when it comes out next week in real life, uh, are you starting to have that sort of vulnerability? Because you talk about stuff from like when you're four and you're seven. Uh, and There's a lot of stuff that you put on the table. I'm going, wow, this is a pretty straightforward dude. I, I respect it. Do you feel a little bit like vulnerability hangover? You know, I, it's, I'm not, I don't have an issue. Well, I don't have an issue talking about the real. I love real and being honest. That's my biggest thing, core value, right? Yeah. Let's be real. Let's be honest. Let's tell the whole story. Let's not exaggerate things, but let's be real. So I'm very much like not ashamed to talk about what happened, all the little details, everything, all the good and the bad. I think the thing that's hard for me because I am an artist and I live in a world of artists is that that I don't like it when it when we beat a dead horse. Yeah. <laughs> and, and all the attention is on, oh, Brian's, the, the, you know, oh, and, and, and so it is interesting where it's it's like, oh, we're still talking about me. And uh, you know what I mean? Are we, is there something else? Yeah. So it's fine. But. I'm not I'm not afraid to talk about it because I think it's a thing that's happened and a lot of people can identify with it and I know that there is a hope. So I, I think it's here we go. Let's go. Yeah. Well, I, you know? I respect it and I think what it does is it normalizes for a, a lot of people who struggle um, with anxiety or, or or issues similar to this to hear you and we're like, wait a minute, this is the guy who's written so many songs that we've sung and, and he's helped us be able to say the words, I'm no longer a slave to fear, but he still has his own struggles and it's in some ways it goes, I'm not alone. Like Brian's here with exactly. me. Exactly. That is exactly right. That's 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 the reason I wrote the book. And then also to give people like, you're not alone. I think that's the first thing we address is like, hey, everyone, you're not alone. Like, mm-hmm. like it, this is, it's not the end. You're not alone. And, and there is actually hope, you know? And then, and then um, that's why I wrote it. Yeah. So you're the son of a pastor. You're the grandson of a pastor. More pastors beyond that? I mean, it's six, six generations. Six of them? Oh my goodness. Okay. So y- y- your full-time ministry, your wife's full-time ministry, yet you still... You just called it a panic attack. What is the what is the phrase that you, you use to describe what happened? That co- okay. So well, we thought it was a panic attack at first, and, and it was. I went landed in the hospital. 
Um, but um, it ended up being like a full-on nervous breakdown okay. situation. So, like, you know, you have a, something happen like a normal panic attack, you know, whatever. But then the next day or two days, you're fine. But something was diff, like mm-hmm. off. That's mm-hmm. like off, different. Yeah. Um, it was just broken, mm-hmm. you know. And so you, y- uh, y- but you're. Co- and the doctor said, Brian. The doctor said something literally broke and it needed time to heal in my in my mind or whatever you know. Mm-hmm. Okay, here's here's a quote from as you described that in the book. Uh, this is you describing what's happened. You said the negative emotions, every frustration and hurt, and I'd pushed it down, thinking if I ignored it, it would all go away. It didn't. All those undealt with emotions had finally caught up with me. And you described like you just started the the music thing was going like the the lab- label was that right. Right? I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Don't know, yeah. I don't know music. It's label, yeah. yeah. Okay. We started a label. But you had a, a <laughs> lot of things going You had a label going on. You had the touring. You had the ministry. And then in this moment, you get rushed to the hospital, and all the stuff that you had pushed down finally comes up to the surface. For those of us who like to push things down and not deal with it, this is not very good news for us. Does it always come up, you think? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, and I'm the classic american male mm-hmm. you know like i hunt and i like i just like i just like guy things right so but the one of the negatives of that is it, it's like tough be tough you know yeah be tough and i think what we're saying is like they're part of that is amazing like come on let's grow up we, we need to we need to yeah. we need to be tough but i think the negative of that is like disconnecting from real emotions that we really need to deal with mm-hmm. or like forgiving people or having conversations or that hurt and saying, no, it didn't hurt lying to ourselves. And so you do that enough times. And, uh, I, literally you stuff that down year after year after year and you're trying your best to man up, but then eventually, um, buried feelings. Hold on. Let's say this buried feelings never die. Hmm. And I think that like we, as guys, especially, um, we need to be tough, but we also need to be connected to our emotions. And I even hate saying the word emotions, right? Because it feels it's just so like. But but there there's something to that that's like we do need to be knowing what's going on inside of us. And this is a tricky one because I, I you know life hasn't gotten easier, but I do know that there's an anchor, you know. Yeah, that I I have memory of where to go if I start feeling myself go a certain direction, what to do, where to go. Uh-huh. You know, what does that feel like? When you like you said you're going this direction, what does it feel like? Uh, overwhelming, hopeless, you know, all this stuff that we feel like, like uncontrollable things like impossible. I think the word impossible hmm. is a big one. Like it just feels impossible, whether it's a situation or whatever. And for me, it's just that anchoring in God, getting up in the morning, spending time with God. You know, that's what got me. That's really what got me through it. When I was seven, worship got me through the um, the panic and all that craziness. Mm-hmm. Um night terrors, everything like that. My dad taught me about the power of praise. And, but through this nervous breakdown, um, it wasn't just worship. It was like getting up and reading the word over and over. And like literally like the Bible says it renews our mind. And I really like believe that like it actually renewed my mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said your dad gave you four weapons, the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, uh, the word of God, and worship. And so your dad had yeah. these four things. He's told you these, you've grown up with a dad who prayed over you, who read scripture, your, your mom as well. Your mom was setting a precedent for you. You wake up in the morning, you see you're doing uh, devotions. But some would say, well, you grew up in this. How, how can this still be something you struggle with? If God's there, God's a solution, you've been saved by God. I'm a Christian, I shouldn't have to deal with this anymore. 
That's the that's the billion dollar question, and I think that's the part that's like you're trying trying to figure out like how could this happen? You know, I've done everything right, and and I had you know I did my best right, but it's an uncontrollable thing, especially anxiety and depression and stuff that people like. It, 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 sometimes it's uncontrollable, like it's not you're like you did something to, to bring this on, yeah. and sometimes there is like unforgiveness and things, some obvious things, but. Um, it just ended up being something that like felt like it was overwhelming. It overtook me. It was, it was it felt impossible. Mm-hmm. And, and I think there's, it's okay to have, I'm okay with the mystery of that, not having the answers for yep. that. Um, but I ended up just going, okay. It was really good having a community around me to remove the shame of it. You know, mm-hmm. people that have gone through it as well, like speak and say, Hey, you're not alone. Like this is not something, this is not abnormal, you know? And and that was a big part is removing the shame of it, right? And then and then walking me through it. And I and I went to the doctors and you know, the doctors they actually said physically something's you know, your brain's like they put me on meds. Mm-hmm. So this is a tricky one, right? Because it, it kind of feels like that's that could be a uh, like something you're not supposed to do. But I, I do want to encourage people like I think that that's okay, you know, seeking a doctor and taking um medication for a season is actually a good thing if you need it and i actually i needed it man i like i couldn't function without it mm-hmm. for a season but then you, you know getting addicted to it and stuff it's not a good idea and i went through that as well getting off of it and then um learning in that season with god reading the word never what, what direction to go to stay sane really you know yeah yeah, definitely. <laughs> I, 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 you talked about shame, and then you you had to tell people like it's okay uh, to take to take medicine. In some ways, like you know, Paul tells Timothy, take a little red wine for your stomach. I, I think if <laughs> if there are certain medicines that are available now, were available back to Paul, I think he'd be more than willing to say, hey, you can take red wine. You can also take these medications. Why do you think in Christian circles there is shame about using medication in situations like this? Well, because I think I think it there is a reality that God God is the answer for all of our needs. Why would we need anything else? And if I take something else, it means I'm not faith. Yeah. And I think that that's a real tricky one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that I think, like I said, there, I, I'm okay with the mystery of all that. Yeah. But I do know this that I think that if we can remove the shame and give people grace for different periods of their life, and it's like if you have a kid and your kid's going through something, you're going to do everything you can possibly do so that they get better yeah. and feel comfortable and whatever. I think it's the same way. And I ended up resorting, went to the doctors, and they they said, "Yep, you need." And they put me on some stuff, and it actually helped. And it helped me get, it helped me start grab my bearings so that I could get better. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's something that we need to address even in the church. It's just like if you if you broke your arm, you know, you're going to do something. To, you're going to put a cast on it. You're going to yeah. you're going to do something to get your arm better. But we don't think about like think like that when it comes to mental breakdown. Yeah. You know, things like that. Yeah. So as you describe the scene, you're out uh, by a creek. River with your kids, right? River. Yeah, a river. Okay. And so with my son, with your son. Okay. So you're out there yeah. doing the the stereotypical manly thing in the river, the creek with the sun, and then of course staying stereotypical. You're right out next to your truck, or you're near the truck, and so you have this moment. Get in the car. You got to go home, or throw them in the truck. You get home, and one of the the default things you do is you start worshiping. Um, two questions. First, do you put on your own CD in that moment? Like, hey, this is the best CD because I wrote this? <laughs> no, okay. no, no, no. Okay. No. Okay. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> we're, we're desperate. This is like a different moment. This is like, I'm going to die right now, so I need anything. Okay. All right. So, 
you're not self-promoting in that moment. Good for you. Because that'd be a really yeah, good yeah, pitch. Like, like, hey, I had a nervous <laughs> breakdown, but this song saved me. Now, uh, I, here's what's funny, though. And to be honest with you, they're not in that moment, but I'll, we're, we'll get into it. But later, there was a song that I co-wrote with a friend. And honest to God, he made a little demo of it on his piano. And I listened to that song eight hours a day, no joke, at least for six months straight. Wow. And it is the song that kind of worked. But but we won't use that as a pitch. Okay, but I won't even tell you the song. But I bet there's something, too, that it's a song that you probably hadn't been leading uh, in front of anyone, right? So it was fresh. You probably were, like, I'm a pastor and there are certain things that, like, I'm doing a series on the Lord's Prayer right now. I love the Lord's Prayer. I've said it daily for years. As I've been preaching on it for the last month, it it doesn't feel the same to me anymore. Yeah. And I wonder if there's something about that song not being really, anyway. Okay, but you come home, you, you turn on music and that's one of the things your dad had taught you, like worship is a response to, to, to these type of struggles. Help, help me understand what worship does. How, why is worship that thing that you went to in that moment? Well, I think there's some answers for this, and then there's some that, some power we don't have answers for. It's like when God shows up, anything is possible. Impossible becomes possible. And I think that covers like a blanket all of the issues in life. And there's just something that happens. Like he inhabits the praises of people, not get all preachy, but it, it's a real thing. And I experienced this as a, as a kid, you know, where it's like, I mean, it's so tormenting. And then in a moment, you know, God, it's just this thing, you know, his presence comes and that all that fear is terror is gone. So, I mean, we do it. We go, we, we always go out on the streets and do ministry and just worship and not even talk to people, just worship. And it's the atmosphere, you know, um, and um, so I, I obviously have a history of that, and then I've led worship forever, so I have a history of that. So I went to that as my go-to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Just like, I'm desperate. And you know, everyone, it's so funny. People talk about, you know, you're not supposed to worship to get anything. And I'm like, no, I'm, I'm worshiping right now to get sanity. Yeah. That's what I'm doing specifically. You know, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's... It's what gets you... To, and so... This is the thing, like Jesus in the garden. I, I this again, Lord's prayer. I'm staying with it. Um, Jesus says, "Not my will, but Thy will be done," which is the very yeah. same thing He taught His disciples to pray. It's almost like in the moment of adversity, that's that's what comes out of you when you're squeezed. And so, it, it for me, like there's a Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner. Like in moments of stress, like I naturally revert back to that because that's a default thing for me. Like that's something that's a consistent practice that changes me. Uh, yeah. Here's a quote that you have in the book about worship. Um, Worship is more than singing songs to God. It's investing in our relationship with Him. Even when we don't feel like it or when circumstances are difficult, worship acknowledges those difficulties and turns to God regardless. It's easy to worship when like things are all good and there are no difficulties. Like that's, oh, I want to give praise somewhere. Exactly. I might as well say it to God. Yeah. How, yeah. how do we worship in difficulties though? Well, I just, it's like blind faith. It's like, it's literally like, it's, it's that moment where you're like, uh, it, it, you know, it's like asking someone to forgive that doesn't have feelings to forgive. Mm-hmm. And they just say the words and something, sometimes the repetition of that, it, it, it becomes, it becomes real. It's amazing. It's like we take one step and he takes, takes a thousand towards us. Mm-hmm. It's in that act of, of praise that's literally, it, that to me, Real praise is like faith. It, it, they're the same thing. You can't praise without faith. And um, telling God who he is, what he's done, is one of the biggest acts of faith I think we can do. Mm. Like it's, 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 it's like a, 
you know, to, you can do lip service, but when you're going through it and you actually praise, it's the most inconvenient, annoying thing you could possibly do. Hmm. But there's something about when you do it, there's just power on it. I think God honors it. God's like, look at these guys. Look at this guy. He's going through hell, and he's actually, you know what I mean, praising. It's just amazing. Hmm. Yeah, I like it. It's an act of faith because you you don't feel like it. Like you're not always there, like because because you yeah. want to be, but sometimes you just know you have to do it. And not like you're punching a clock so that God's on your side, but like you have to because right. this is all you have to get through it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's interesting because like he. It's like he said, we're praising in advance. We're praising in advance for what he said he's going to do, whatever. You know, it's like, it's it's like the prophetic, like, uh, you know, I'm thinking in advance. You know, it's like grabbing everything he said in the word. What does Jesus say about everything? It's like, okay, I know this to be true. Therefore, I'm just going to declare this out. And there's just something about joining our praise to the promise Mm -hmm. that carries such weight and authority and power. Hmm. Uh, After Nervous Breakdown, as a worship leader, as a pastor, as a songwriter, do you find yourself approaching those those tasks and those callings differently? Yeah, it's interesting. I've been asked that before. Um, I think that there's just a bit more of a reassurance, you know, like that what we're doing is is it's important. Not only is it important, but there's so much power behind it. You know, I'm I'm, I'm reassured yet again through this season that God is God mm-hmm. and we are not. He is all powerful, and we're going to give him that rightful place, you know. And when we do, you know, it's like the walls fall, mm-hmm. whatever those walls are. There's that, there's that, that strengthening through that process that happened, that strengthening, that reassurance. Like there's some things that I've gone through since then mm-hmm. that there's no way I would have been able to to go through them yeah. if I didn't go through that before. And I'm not saying God willed that to happen, mm-hmm. but He allowed it. Um, for whatever reason, maybe I, maybe I'm the one that reason it happened, but for whatever reason, it strengthened my faith and my endurance. And I think my backbone, cause there's a couple things since then. I'm like, there, I mean, honestly, there's just no way. Right. Mm-hmm. So, it, um, life hasn't gotten easier, right. But my ability to go through some of the same stuff has yeah. gotten easier. Yeah. It, it's like you learn. You develop muscle memory. Like, okay, I've exactly. gotten through this. We can get through the next thing. When, uh, when this breakdown takes place, you're at the house, and then a uh, firefighter friend, captain, shows up, yeah. calls EMTs. They're there, and you have kids. Your kids are little at the time, right? Like, how old were they when the nervous breakdown took place? Gosh, how many years ago? Was this three years ago, four years ago? Haley would have been 13. My oldest would have been 13. 13 um, would have been nine and six, maybe. Yeah. So you're you're about to leave, and then you realize, like, your kids are in this, too. Like, they're overwhelmed. Oh, they're they're there. Oh, yeah, they're there. And you you have the the presence of mind, or maybe the grace, whatever you want to say, to turn to them and give them a word of encouragement. And your line was, this is when God becomes real. Why did you want yeah. to tell them that? Well, here's the, it, I, it's one of those kind of surreal moments in the middle of this c- complete like chaos. Um, and I, I, it's like I needed to do this. Do you know what I mean? Like I had this like do this kind of moment of clarity. Mm-hmm. 
because I, I knew it was a step of faith because mm-hmm. I didn't know, even though I knew that God was going to get me through this. And I wanted them to see, you know, I didn't know it was going to be a process. I didn't know it was going to be six months, but I knew it was severe. I wanted them to see that all the pain, all the chaos, all the crazy, just wild. And then, then I wanted to see that this is when God becomes real and that this is when God become it's like when god becomes your only option it's a gift and then i wanted them to remember that line because you know we can go through life where it's almost like we we think we don't need god even though if he removed his grace we'd all be so screwed <laughs> we we kind of cheat ourselves and lie to ourselves we can kind of ignore god our whole lives and live a decent life do whatever but when stuff happens you absolutely have to have god and that's when god becomes real because we we realize that we, without him we're totally screwed so i wanted them to know that to see the bad of it see the worst feel the pain but also know that when we get through this that god you know god was going to be faithful mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah. that i that I worded that right no i, th- I think that's good uh, also i think you worded uh, maybe your next song if god removes his grace we're all screwed I feel like that would be a, a catchy song. I think you should go with that. Uh, let's, it would be. I think we could all identify with that, right? Let's do it. <laughs> I think that's right. what, what I really liked about what you did is that you're, you're, you're parenting, you're discipling your kids in the worst moment of your life. What might have been, I don't know, you can say if it's the worst or not, but in one of the darkest moments of your life, you're letting your kids see the kind of faith that you want to have even when it's not easy. And I think that's... I think that's what all of us parents should should strive to do. Yeah, I wanted them to get 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 start getting their own history in God, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the heart and then God comes through and then oh, that's right, God's faithful. Yeah. And the repetition of that. You got to start sometime and I wanted them to know that this was a God thing. This was a God thing. And and you know what I mean? Yeah. Kind of like I had when I was a kid, like when I first started going through it, like it it, it God became real in a new way, you know? Yeah. You tell a story in the book about how you'd wake up in the morning and your mom was having devotions, reading Bible, praying, and you would see the light coming in from the, the living room underneath the crack of your door and you'd stumble out there and your mom wouldn't push you aside, but she'd let you sit there with her. With her. And in some ways, you're doing the same practice of like inviting kids into how you're connecting and relating and processing everything through the lens of God, but in a really dark time. So I, I, think, that's, I think that's great. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, and sometimes you can overshare with your kids, and I probably overshare with my kids. I think it's, but I think it's important to not keep them outside of real life. Mm-hmm. You know, I think parents keep their kids outside of real life until they turn eighteen, and it's like, here you go, and that's like the worst thing you could do. Yeah, and then they realize, like, oh wow, the world's not nice. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think we need to teach our kids earlier, early on, that hey, this is what real life is. You know. Yeah, I, a bit more. Uh, there's a friend of mine uh, named Brad McCoy who does parenting stuff, and he says that uh, you don't prepare the path for your kids; you prepare your kids for the path. Yeah, that's good. It's that same idea of doing that. Yeah. Okay, let me tell you something. I terrified of interviewing musicians because I don't know how to talk about music, and so I want you. <laughs> I've interviewed hundreds of people who've written books, but like a musician, like talking to Joel, I'm like, so Joel, um. You wrote that song about the oceans, huh? That's really cool. I like oceans. Um, get, uh, how do, what is a good question to be asked about a, a song? Like, what, next time I have to do one of these musician interviews, like with Joel, tell me what I'm supposed to say to him. <laughs> oh, man. Do I, ask, I do I ask, like, what is the right <laughs> phrase? Sloppy wet kiss or unforeseen kiss? Like, I can ask that question. 
but that's the only one I got. Maybe ask him like how how he got the how he got the first idea for the song. Okay. And you'll find out sometimes it's like spiritual, you know, and sometimes it's completely like random. Uh, I'd say random at least 50% <laughs> of the time. Uh, and I'll, I'll give you an example. Like there's some times where <clears throat> you just, you're not even trying. Like you're, you're driving down the road or taking a shower or whatever and you just get this idea. Mm-hmm. And it ends up being like, you know, 10,000 reasons or something. Yeah. You know, I think Matt Redmond said he got the drum, little drum beat part for the end of the verse because his kids were watching Peter Pan the night before or something. <laughs> I'm serious. Like, there's things like that. I remember I was looking, trying to find a bridge, this this missing melody piece for this bridge on this part, and we had a deadline, and I remember waking up Saturday morning, and I get out of bed, and I get in my underwear, and I grab this little guitar by the bed, and I sit up, and I just push record on my phone, and I sing it, and there it is. And, and it's just like it comes in the most not – typically you know people yeah. think you light some candles and you just get in the mode and you write this hit song and i so real good songs in my opinion come when it's more normal yeah you know and it kind of kind of hits you upside the head when you're living normal life yeah so i'd say ask him when did that song start and how did you finish it and have him tell you the real story not the not the fake story <laughs> about like you know do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I, I get that. The real story. Okay, I think part of being an artist, and this is not just musical artists, but artists, is that you, you're you aware. Like, you're always aware to what's around you. And whether it's the Peter Pan, I don't know how that turns into a song, but whatever. But you're aware of, like, all the little peculiarities of life around you, and somehow you see there's something transcendent in that, and your job is to somehow, like, record all that and yep. share it with the rest of the world. Exactly, yep. Or, or like, you, you, you say it in a new way. You know, yeah, I think that you talk about it. oceans. You know, you see, you're, you're talking about you're talking about something that's been said a million times, but you're saying it in a new way, and it kind of like, oh, that feels like that's it. There's something on it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because everyone's heard that same idea, but you say it in a fresh and, and new way, and it connects. Yeah. Okay, that's good. Thank you. That you've helped me out. I feel like I've helped promote your book, and you've helped me figure out how to talk to musicians. It, and then I will, and I think this is important. We say, my dad always says this when he teaches the songwriters and worship leaders. He says, "Write what you want to see the church look like in five, ten, fifteen, twenty years." Like oh, that's good. You know, like write what the church should be singing and what the church should look like. Yeah. And a lot of times, I think as songwriters, we can get into a rut of holding the church back because we're we're writing from diary, we're writing from our journals. <laughs> and I think there's something where about songwriters we need to we need to be honest, but we also need to be like a prophetic, prophetic yeah. people writing what the church, what God said the church is to be mm-hmm. and uh, launching the church forward. Launch. And uh, I think that's a big, a huge deal. Yeah, that's good. Okay. And also it's the hardest thing for a creative to do. Why is that? Because creatives are naturally like selfish and self-absorbed <laughs> and writing about my creative and da, da, da. And, and there's no, t- most of the time there's not a lot of hope in that. Wow. There, Did I just say no, that out loud? There's not a lot of hope in just staying in yourself. Like that, that's... You know what I mean? No, that's insightful. That's good. Like David, David was a genius because he did that, but he also used it as a platform to launch people into the more and the God and the hope and God was faithful. You know, he always had this... You know, he was like, you look at him, you're like, man, you're depressed, but then he would always somehow <laughs> change it on us. Like, but you're faithful. Yeah. But a lot of artists don't do that. They don't put the hope in. They don't have the... Yeah, yeah, they, don't, they yeah. don't turn it forward. Okay, you said your dad taught, uh, teaches the songwriters, uh, musicians. Your grandfather, you, six generations of pastors. M- my tradition, 
like it, I, I'm from the Churches of Christ. The idea of a pastor. So your brother is teaching pastor, senior pastor of Bethel now. Is that right? He's the local pastor of Bethel. So it Reading. Okay. My church. There's never been like you know. Uh, pastor says, okay, my son's going to be the next pastor. And none of that, it's completely like foreign to my tradition. What are we missing out with this sort of like the family business model that some tradition, like obviously Joel, like for example, like his family, they're all in the game. What are we missing out on that? What's the benefit that like, what is one of the benefits that you, that you don't experience when you don't get to see that sort of thing? Um, I think there's a trust there. there uh, you're in the family, right? So you're committed. There's a commitment th- this there. Um, you get you you grew up together. So there's an, a, a lot of doing ministry together is just, you know, people spend 30, 35, 40 years just to get to know the person. You know, it's like marriage. It's like yeah. I've been married for almost uh, – no, I've been married for 19 years. And you, you'd think after a couple of years you'd have it figured out, right? But it, th- there's a process of getting to know the person. And I think when you grow up in the same family, there's just a knowing. Like, I know how my dad thinks. Yeah. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And so that, that's – you, you have a um, – I'm, I'm sure there's negative and positives to it, you know? Yeah, that's good though. Uh, Brian, let me just say uh, – as a pastor, th- thanks for writing some of our songs. It's really helpful uh, for you guys to put those out. So keep writing those because we need them. Yes, we will. And we'll keep doing that. Yeah, I, I know you guys are going to be in Austin soon. So uh, that, that's where I live. So I uh, hope, you, oh, awesome. hope you enjoy our time, your, your time in my city. Um, but all the best. Congrats on the book. Uh, the book is titled When God Becomes Real. It's out the first week in February. And um, I, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm proud of you for writing such a, uh, an honest and transparent book. So well done. Man, thank you. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.